Welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. Glad you could make it. This is Pastor Daryl, and I hope that today's episode is a special blessing to you. So, here we go. Okay, everybody should be able to hear me okay. We're back in Acts. We started Acts last year from... Uh, uh, the Sunday after Easter, uh, toward the fall, then we did a little series before Advent. Um, so we're back in Acts again, almost halfway through. I want to kind of recap, since it has been um, quite a while since we got into Acts at all. Let's let's maybe quickly cover uh, the first 13 chapters in about uh, 15 to 20 seconds. Uh, so first I begin in Acts, Jesus ascends into heaven. The Holy Spirit is given to us and the church is established. Witnesses uh, shared this message of the good news of God's grace in, in Jerusalem and then began uh, trickling out into surrounding areas. Uh, a man by the name of Saul who at one point was Uh, going around arresting Christians, gets converted and becomes a Christ follower and changes, his name is changed to Paul. And then we also see that non-Jews or Gentiles get saved and receive the Holy Spirit. Now that was shocking, mind you, to Jewish followers. They did not realize that God was going to Uh, do this wonderful thing for Gentiles as well. They just kind of assumed that was only going to be for Jewish people. And no, God uh, wanted all people to partake of this grace. And then finally, right before we wrap things up last year, Paul began his first missionary journey. And uh, to help... Uh, help us keep things straight when we talk about different locations. Earlier this week, I sent a text message to everybody with a video link where you watch like a five to seven minute video and it gives you a really solid idea. I don't know about you, but um, I I do a lot better with stuff like that when I see a picture. So when I read that Paul goes to one place and another than another, I, I like to see it on a map. You know, where did he go? And so that helps, that helps kind of, uh, for me, that helps with comprehension. <clears throat> All right. So then, so then we find ourselves in chapter 14 of Acts. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'll pull up the scripture real quick. Okay. So in Iconium, verse 1, let's begin with verse 1. Paul is, is on this journey. Uh, Paul and Barnabas 
are traveling together this long journey uh, to reach out to different communities. And so they're in Iconium. In Iconium, they enter the Jewish synagogue as usual um, and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Verse 2, but the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. What I like to do with scripture, when we read scripture, we want to say what from it can we glean and apply to our lives to become better Christians, better Christ followers, to better prepare ourselves for the spiritual war that's taking place. And, and this is a great example. This is exactly what the devil does. The devil poisons the minds of people. The devil's been in that business for a long time. And it's, it's a major part of Satan's tactic is to, um, to keep us from knowing the truth, from believing the truth. The devil does not want you to believe anything from God is true. And so he's going to twist your thinking in a way to, to where it is in either you ignore it or it's ineffectual for you. And I thought of five different ways the devil things, five different methods or different tactics the devil uses to poison our minds. Number one, uh, the devil will tell us that our situation is hopeless. Whether you're trying to get off drugs or trying thinking about becoming a Christian, um, you, the devil will think, "Oh, this is this is hopeless. It's not going to work. You're you're never going to succeed. You're never going to overcome this battle. It's never going to get better." Life is, and in, in, in the hopes that if you believe that, you'll either give it up trying. To, to to reach out for God, or you the worst case scenario, you despair of life, say, well, there's no hope, there's no reason to continue living, and you end your life. And I've seen that happen just in recent years with people that I've known. The second tactic the devil uses, well, let me back up, situation hopeless, does the devil use that? But God says it's not hopeless. God says there is hope. You can be free. You can be helped. You can be forgiven. Number two, the second tactic the devil uses is the Bible's not true. That's right here, God's word. It's not true. And the devil will use different ways. If you look in the internet, it'd be very easy to find all kinds of articles as to why this is all just a fable. It's not true. It can't be believed. Uh, there's always some argument. Oh, it's contradictory. But there's no question. There is no argument from my found in, in, in 35 years of serving God almost. I have never found any question, any problem, any uh, concern about the reliability of Scripture that was not 
answered with reason and logic. There was always a reasonable answer to every concern. Every apparent contradiction, there's always uh, a proper response. The, Bi the devil would have you believe the Bible is not true, so you don't go to the Bible. So you go to other sources, so you go to self-help books or meditation guides. I find it continually amusing that the world would have you believe Bible truth without believing the Bible. I recently att I attended a webinar on moral injury. What is moral injury? Moral injury is when you have been through a situation that you knew was wrong, whether you either participated in yourself or you watched it happen and it has affected you, deeply affected you. <clears throat> I'm talking about horrible things like in war where sometimes a soldier is called to, required to uh, shoot a child because that child is running up to a group of soldiers with, with a bomb strapped on his chest. And, and, if, and if he doesn't shoot that child, then that whole platoon is be in danger. <coughs> but God has ingrained in us this, this, uh, this uh, morality that you know, we know, you know it hurts us to, to do anything like that. And even those who do things that they know is wrong, clearly even outside of the law of war. Um, doing things, atrocities, raping women, uh, and the like. Um, there, there's, there's a uh, an emotional uh, cost to that. It affects the psyche. Um, I remember reading. I did not finish it. Crime and Punishment. <laughs> the giant. It's a giant book. Um, but I began it, and and it's all about an analysis of of. Uh, uh, someone who's committed murder and, and what that does to the psyche. Um, and, so there's, and so there was this whole class on moral injury and, and how to deal with it. And one of their basic tenets was the value of forgiveness. And they talked about how, oh, um, it, it helps you in so many different ways. It's definitely a good way to go to help you deal with moral injury. And I'm, th I'm, I'm listening to this, this speaker and watching the slides and going, man, where have I heard that before? That really sounds familiar. The value of forgiveness. Well, the Bible is true. The devil would have you believe otherwise the Bible is true. You can trust God's word. It is a guide. The devil uses a tactic... Another uh, mind-poisoning tactic the devil uses is the, co uh, the cost of serving the Lord is too high. We saw this in an example of the rich young ruler uh, and others who thought the cost of following Christ was too high. It's too much. It's too hard to be a Christian. I, 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 you know, I don't want to give up. Oh, if I become a Christian, I have to give up things that, that I know I, I enjoy, but I know are wrong. And so the cost is too high.
Yet Jesus say, what, you know, what does a man gain when he if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? The reality is of your soul is much greater value than anything in your life, anything you possess, any power, any prestige, family or friends, it's much greater value than that. Another uh, the final Satan's tactic that I want to talk about today is uh, mistrust of Christians and even mistrust of God. I've seen this poison in the mind. People don't trust uh, someone. They um, they don't want it. I, the devil will try to get you to believe that uh, Christians aren't trustworthy, and God is even. And, and the devil used that with Eve, trying to uh, uh, trying to bring into question God's motives. So let's be careful. We have to be aware that the devil is going to try to poison our minds as these people who were uh, really minions of the devil, any any sinner that uh, does not follow Christ uh, is, is a child of the devil, follows the devil. And is and these, these Jewish people who rejected Christ um, st- or, <coughs> or stirring up the Gentiles and poisoning their minds against the brothers. And then verse uh, 3. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly of the Lord who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. Now this is pretty interesting. So um, there's a lot in here in this one little verse that I want to talk about. First off, I... The word so indicates usually indicates cause and effect. So what's the cause? Persecution. People were were arguing against the truth. Uh, So their response was to stay there. And mind you, they they didn't stay there for just a little while. They stayed there for some time, for a long time. And they spoke, they didn't speak weakly. They spoke boldly. They weren't afraid of speaking the truth, but they did so in reliance on the, on the Lord. And notice that God testified to this. How did he do so? By enabling them to do signs and wonders. So God ratified their truth. And, and God still does that today. God ratifies the truth to people by answered prayers. I remember back in uh, February of 2014, uh, a young man by the name of Andrew, or Evan, however you want to call him, uh, was in jail and and up until that point had rejected God a few months prior he told me before he went to went to jail he told me he wanted nothing to do with God and so he's in jail and, and he had a battle with meth and and um before he went into jail and and, and while he's in jail drugs started getting passed around in his pod and he was scared to death of getting hooked back on drugs. And he laid there one night and prayed and asked God to take the drugs out of the pot where he stayed. The next day, he had a court hearing 
that was supposed to be just an administrative type thing. Uh, nothing really was supposed to come of it. It was more like informational and then planning the next steps before his trial. And 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 I met, I I was asked to attend and, and his mom Lori was there and 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 Andrew was on his computer screen uh, monitor and the judge and the lawyer were talking back and forth. Uh, and we were having a little hard time following them. They were talking pretty fast and, and just kind of back and forth. And it sounded like at the end of it, they decided to release him. And uh, Lori looked at me and he said, did they just say they're going to release him? And I said, I'm not sure. And so she looked to the lawyer and asked her, and the lawyer said, yes, they're going to release him. No, bond, no bail whatsoever. They just decided to release him. That was completely unexpected. And 12 hours prior, Andrew was laying on his cot praying that God would take the drugs out of his pod. 12 hours later, God did not answer that prayer. God took Andrew out of the pod. And that night I picked him up and we went to dinner celebrating him getting out and I don't know what, I haven't talked to Andrew since not long after his mom passed. I don't know where he is. I don't know, I hope he's following the Lord. I don't know. But I know this. I know God answered prayer to ratify the truth to Andrew. So no matter what, Andrew is without excuse. He knows God is there, God is in control, and God cares about him. Let's look at verse 4. But the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and some with the apostles. That's not surprising. You know, the gospel divides. That's what it does. Yeah, people who receive it with joy, they're excited about this, and others who completely reject it and actually get angry about it. Verse 5. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to assault and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns called Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding countryside. I find this interesting. Did you notice in verse 3, when they had people that were arguing against them, they stayed. When, they, when their lives were threatened, they left. You see, a Christian... There's, no, there's nothing moral or special or spiritual about a Christian who purposely puts his life in danger. A Christian is expected to stand up and not let threat of death affect their decision to follow Jesus. But at the same time, a Christian is not expected just to uh, put their lives in danger to be smart about it. And sometimes the smart thing is to move on to another area. And so they, they went on to the nearby towns, and but they didn't stop preaching. 
So even though they were experiencing, so in, remember I, in Antioch, last year when I preached chapter 13, they, they, their life was threatened. And then in Iconium, their life is threatened again. They don't stop preaching. They just go somewhere else and continue doing, spreading the truth. We should not let conflict and tribulation keep us from doing what we know is right. should never be afraid. And, and it's, it's going to come a time where that's, there's going to be consequences to us following the Lord. We should never be afraid of that. That's just God is in control. He will always be in control. But they kept evangelizing. In verse 8, In Lystra, a man without strength in his feet, lame from birth, and who had never walked, had been lame from birth. I'm sorry. So, and that's an important point, by the way. He, This man had never, ever in his life walked. Remember that. Okay, so... Verse 9, he listened as Paul spoke after looking directly at him and seeing that he had faith to be healed. And Paul said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet, and he jumped up and began to walk around. This was a complete healing. He had never, ever walked. So not only did his legs receive strength and his muscles began to work, but his brain knew how to actuate his muscles. He didn't wobble. He didn't. It said he began to jump up and began to walk around like he had been walking his entire life. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying the Lyconian language, The gods have come down. The gods have come down to us in human form. See, they were Greek, so they worshiped Greek gods. So they called Barnabas, they called Zeus. And Paul Hermes, because he was a chief speaker. You see, Hermes was the messenger of the gods. And so it makes sense they would call Paul Hermes and they called Barnabas Zeus because they healed. And so therefore, the gods must be among us now. And so they got all excited and, and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of town, brought bulls and wreaths to the gates. Because he intended with the crowds to offer sacrifice to them. And as you might imagine, Paul and Barnabas were pretty upset about that. And they, they tore their robes, which was an ancient uh, symbol of, of extreme grief. And when they, they tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd shouting, People, why are you doing these things? We are people also just like you and we're proclaiming good news to you that you turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. 
There was a point I was going to make. I just realized I, I forgot it. Back earlier when Paul and Barnabas were in Iconium, they, they remember they, they preached boldly in reliance on the Lord. We should ask ourselves, do I rely on God? Do I trust do I trust God in, in difficult circumstances or do I resent going through those circumstances? Do I get a good night's sleep knowing that God is in charge or do I am I often up am I often awake with worry? Am I taking time out of my day to read God's promises in his word and do I believe them? Man, a lot of people, I don't know if we actually believe what we're reading. So I know a lot of Christians, I just I their their lives don't seem to reflect that. If you ask them, they say, oh yeah, I believe the Bible, absolutely. But then their lives don't reflect that. And finally, am I trying to live a Christian life on my own? Or am I leaning on God's people? We try to just, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna figure out what it means to be a Christian and follow after God completely on my own, on my own wisdom, on my own understanding. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need any mentors in my life. Boy, I need mentors in my life. I have a lot of them. Brother Daryl Settler Sr., uh, actually, um, yeah, Daryl Lee's grandfather, Kenneth Settler, was a mentor to me. Dr. Alan Brown was a mentor to me. Brother Rowan Fay's a mentor to me. Uh, Brother Walter Hestrom's a mentor to me. My own father's a mentor to me. Um, I have a lot of, 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 of uh, and um, I know a lot of men, I'm a guy, and I'm more comfortable talking to men, but I tell you, another lady, Sister, Sister Campbell, she was a mentor to me. She was really good at telling me, um, I was a young Christian at, at God's Bible School, and I was, you know, she would invite me over uh, for dinner, and so I get home cooking, uh, and uh, and she would mentor me. I, I thought, man, I've got this figured out. I know, and and she would tell me straight when I was wrong, and I appreciated that. I needed that. I needed someone to tell me the truth. I don't know about you, but um, I had some people in my life that I would be looking for for good. I, I want good feedback. I want to know if I'm in the right or wrong. I want to know if I'm on the right track and in, in, in my walk with God or not. And and people would, oh, you're doing a good job. You know, keep. They would give me no valuable insight at all. But why? Because they just wanted to be nice. But if I if I if I'm expected to rely on God, then the only, what, you, you can't I can't see how you can do that if if you're if you're not willing to rely on God's people and look to somebody else who's walked with God longer than you and 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 not think oh I've got it all figured out better than you do.
All right, so sorry about that. Kind of skipped past that. I wanted to go back to that real quick. Now let's go back to verse 15 again. Where they're, there's, they're trying to stop. Why are you sacrificing to us? Why? We're men just like you. We've got good news. The good news of God's grace, right? The gospel is what we're talking about. That you should turn from these worthless things, these sins. Turn from the, to, and, and what, what are these? Talking about these worthless things. These are the worship of false gods. You need to turn from worshiping false All as you're doing, offering sacrifice because you think we're Zeus and Hermes. Uh, and, 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 and that's all worthless. There's no value in that. It's completely vain. And you need to turn to the living God. The, one, the real God who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them. People were not worshiping the true God. You know, even now, modern times, people will worship something. Even people who don't believe in a God or have a vague idea of who and what God is, whether it's pantheism or um, or even just theism, people will always treat someone or something like a God. What do I mean by that? <clears throat> I want you to ask yourself, there's, there's certain things that we do that we should be doing for God, and if our hearts aren't right with God, we end up doing for other things or other people. So first one, here's what we do for, for, God, for a God, whether it's a true God or a false God. We give honor. Who are you giving honor to? Who are you giving praise to in your life? Number two, who who are you giving gifts to? Who are you uh, sacrificing your possessions to, your money? Who are you spending your money on? Number three, who are you trying to please? Four, who are you, who do you have a fear of? Five, who do you look to for help? When things go bad, who are you going to for assistance? Number six, who do you worship? Who do you give your time and attention to? Is it God? Or is it someone or something else? You know, in, in this day and age... Uh, we don't think much about idols and false gods, but it's really all around. We just don't have physical temples to them like they did back in, in, in Paul's time. Paul went there, and, and, and we're going to read more about it. He went to these places where there was, there's, you know, um, Colosseum, this, uh, uh, temples everywhere. And if we could, if, if today, if, if I could take you, if we could take a field trip to, to modern day false gods and, and, and walk into this area, this, this complex of, of, of temples risen to false gods. Here, here's some of the false gods we would find. We'd find that the false god of power, 
Oh, I, I, whatever I can get to get more authority and power in my life. We see the false god of, of entertainment. A lot of people worshiping at the false god of entertainment. Whatever I can do to, to just forget about what's going on in my life and just be entertained and, and pleased all the time. I'll spend my money on it. I'll put my time in it. And we have the, the false god of popularity. What do I need to do to be popular, to get more likes, uh, for people to pay attention to me? Whether it's on Instagram or other social media, uh, what, you know, not enough people are, are, are commenting on me. And the false god of education even can be a false god. Whether, whether you know, you don't really pay attention to someone unless they have a lot of letters by their name. And, and, and you think that only way you're going to get in life is if you have this uh, deep and in, in, in in, in huge education. When God has used anybody from someone with barely a, th- a third grade education, all those with, with doctorates, use them all the same. Beauty can be a false god. I've seen that a lot. Or women would post pictures of themselves on social media and everybody talk about, oh, you're so beautiful, you're so pretty. You know, like that means something. Like there's anything of any real value to that. And let me tell you, your value and your worth has nothing to do with how you look. It's the content of your heart. Another false god is is comfort. I can see that temple as one giant easy chair. Oh, just I have a comfortable life. Whatever I need to have comfort. I have uh, friends on social media, and it seems like that's all they're going for. Whatever I can do to to whatever hobbies we can be a part of, and 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 things we can be involved in to bring comfort and ease to our life. And then the the false god of substances, whether it's illicit drugs, alcohol. Uh, even junk food, if it is used as a way to, to if I'm feeling bad about something in my life, if I'm, you know, am I, am I going to God in prayer or am I reaching for a candy bar? And there's a false God of family. Oh, I've seen many people worship this false God, whether it's their children or grandchildren or parents, their, 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 whatever, their life decisions are all based on that. And the false god of the false god of religion. Did you know that? There's a false god of religion. There's people who think that as long as they go through the motions and do the right things and attend the right services and pay the right money and 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 do all this stuff and 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 get baptized and, and that that they're fine. That they're worshiping the true God when their heart at all is far from God. And there's a lot of people that Jesus says that come to him and say, Oh, we did all this in your name. And Jesus is going to tell them, Get away from me. I have never known you. There's a false god of science. The idea that science is going to solve all our problems and, 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 and is going to make life better. And there's always an answer to everything based on science. 
It's where the false religion of Scientology came out of. Someone uh, is smart enough to, to say, oh, we'll have a scientific solution to life's problems instead of God. There's a false god of sex. The idea of a free, um, meaningless, you know, meaningless, the, the, the pleasure of sex. That's that's what we're going to go for. That's what we're going to spend our money and our time on and, and, and fantasy and, and going to places that uh, propagate it and, and doing everything we can to protect ourselves from the consequences of illicit sex. We'll do anything, even child sacrifice. You know, I just uh, I was uh, telling Missy this morning. Yesterday, I was I was mowing the lawn. I listened to different podcasts, and I was listening to Dr. Phil. I I don't know what Dr. Phil's uh, philosophy is. I, I'm I'm willing to bet he's a liberal and and probably believes that pro-abortion. But I'm not sure, so I'm not going to officially say that. Um, but he was talking about a mother who may have killed her children because she thought the world was coming to an end and she wanted to uh, uh, keep them from having to go through any of the tribulation, uh, any of the, uh, of the pain and suffering that she expected to happen. And he thought, and his, his response was, what kind of mind would come to that conclusion? He was in awe of that. And, and, and my response was, well, yeah, every child a wanted child. Isn't that the philosophy? Isn't that the motto of Planned Parenthood? Every child a wanted child. I'm, I don't want this child to have to go up, grow up in an unloving home or go through any, any challenges with foster care, so I'm going to kill it. What kind of twisted mind? Would sacrifice a child on the altar of the sex temple. And we have the uh, the false god of money. If I just earned enough money, if I just had enough more money, that's what I'm going to sacrifice my people, my, my relationships, my time. One of my favorite stories of Christmas Carol, that was Scrooge's whole, whole issue. Money was his false god. He sacrificed everything, friendships, relationships, family, even even uh, uh, his marriage. He was going to be engaged and he sacrificed that all on the altar of, of money. And finally, the last temple we come to in this modern day false idols complex, we see the the false god of self, serving myself, what I want. I, I, I choose, I decide what's right and wrong. I decide what's good for me. And Paul and Barnabas were encouraging these people thousands of years ago to turn away from the worthless things, these worthless things. Real quick, I'm going to turn it over to Matthew chapter 16. Verse 26. Jesus said, What will it benefit a man 
if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? These worthless things. Let's give that up. Moving on to verse 16. I need to start wrapping this up. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their own way. Although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and filling you with food and your hearts with joy. So God, Paul is saying, God's let everybody know that there is a God who controls this thing, all, controls the universe by providing them good things. Verse 18, even though they said these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them. So they're able, they were able to hold them off, but barely. And then, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and when they won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, city thinking he was dead. These Jewish people who rejected Christ actually followed Paul and Barnabas more than a hundred miles just to try to encourage the crowds to turn against them. That's pretty hardcore, especially back in those days. No cars, no airplanes, either on foot or on a donkey or a mule or a horse. Um, they traveled all that distance um, And you think about it, too, they had to hunt them down, too, which I'm sure was it. They had to go to the nearby towns and, and ask if they'd seen them and figure out from there where they went. Verse 20, after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went into the town. And the next day he left with Barnabas for Derby. Now that's pretty amazing. God healed... Paul, because to be uh, hit with rocks to the point where they think you're dead and then be able just to get up and go and, and let's say he was carried into town. He said he went into town and the next day he just went about his business. God definitely healed him. And after they had preached the gospel... Verse 21. As they preached the gospel in that town and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium and Antioch, strengthening disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter in the kingdom of God. Now this, this right here is important for us. Because it teaches us a couple things that we should be doing and how to do it. Notice they just strengthen disciples and we should encourage and strengthen one another. Wouldn't you agree? Well, how did, how did they do it? They did it by two different ways. By tell, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Don't give up. 
I want to tell you, I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I want to tell you, don't give up serving the Lord. Keep at it. Whatever God tells you to do, do it. Keep reading the Bible. Keep praying. Keep trying to do what's right. And wherever you mess up, ask for forgiveness and move on. But don't give up. And Paul Paul and Barnabas also uh, encouraged them, strengthened them by uh, telling them how it's necessary to pass through many troubles on our way to the kingdom of God. He tells them, this is the way it's supposed to be. I know you're suffering right now. I know you have health problems right now. I know that you're maybe having trouble sleeping at night. I know you're having financial struggles right now. I know maybe you're having emotional, maybe you have depression like, like I've battled before, anxiety. You know, this, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the Christian walk. A lot of a lot of young Christians get discouraged prematurely and give up because they think that once they get saved and baptized that everything is going to be fine. They're not going to have any more problems. They're not going to have any more struggles. They're not going to deal with that anymore. Everything is perfect. And that's not how God works. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have challenges. But what's different is this time... You're going through those challenges with God. You're not alone. And you're not going through those challenges because you're involved in sin. Let's encourage one another. Verse 23, when they appointed elders... Appointed elders for them in every church and pray with fasting. They committed them to the Lord whom they had believed. They started these churches. They appointed leaders. And that's significant. You know, now we have the luxury of, of letting people grow in the Lord naturally. And when it comes time for them, when they're spiritually mature enough, then they become a, a leader in a church. Um... But they didn't have that, that luxury because the churches were starting from scratch. And, and, and so they were committing them to the Lord and spending a great deal of time in prayer and fasting. Um, they would hang on. And they passed to Presidia and came to Pamphylia. After they had spoken the word of Perga, they went down to Attilia, continuing on walking along, sharing the gospel with everybody who would listen. Verse 26. For some, they, they sailed back to Antioch, where they started. So they sailed all the way back to Antioch, where they began their trip, and, and where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. And after they arrived and gathered in the church together, they reported everything God had done with them, that they had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they shared their testimony. This is so important. This is sharing your testimony, sharing what God, reporting what God has done for you to other Christians is absolutely an essential part of the Christian walk. That's why I encourage everybody in connection group to share what God has done for you. Why I give opportunity every time, every Sunday. Does anybody have a testimony? 
I was watching a sermon today on social media where a guy shared a story about a man who, who, as a child, his father was a hitman for the mob and his mother was a stripper and his mother get, got saved and, and started going to church and, and he followed his mom to church and fell under great conviction but ran away from that for some time and then as a young man, he, he went and talked with God and, and, and planned on just telling God, I'm sorry, I can't be a Christian. It's too hard to be a Christian. I can't do it. And the very next day found the grace and the strength to be a Christ follower. And his life was forever changed from that. Now, I don't know about you, but that story, that testimony encourages me. That brings strength to me and joy in my heart to hear how God has impacted the lives of others. And this is what uh, reporting uh, uh, everything God has done, reporting that does for Christians is why it's valuable and is why Paul and Barnabas did that. And they talked about how God was opening this door of faith for everybody, even the non-Jewish people. And then finally they spent considerable time with the disciples. Disciples, uh, they, they, they're brothers and sisters in Christ and mentors and, and, and guides. And, and so they, they didn't spend just a little bit of time. We need to spend time together. This, this pandemic really you know, has, has locked us away from one another. And I've tried, I try to call all of you. Um, at least you know once a week, all, all people in our church, I try to contact at least once a week. How are you doing? Is there anything that we can do for you? Is there anything we can pray about? Where we love you, we miss you, we you know want to be encouraging to you. That's what everybody should be doing, not just me as the pastor. Because we need to be with one another. That's a big part of our Christian walk. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. It, it, it said it, they could have just said they spent time with the disciples, or they could have just spent a little bit of time with them. But no, they spent considerable time with them, a lot of uh, time, and we should do the same. And that is all I have for today uh, from the Book of Acts, the Acts of the Church. Lord, help us to not be distracted by uh, by any uh, poisoning of our minds by the devil and help us to not worship false gods. Let us pray. Thank you for joining us today. If you liked what you heard, you're welcome to give us a rating, a review on Apple iTunes. If you have any questions, need anything, uh, you're welcome to Email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can find our website at servantsheartchapel.org. Thank you so much and have a blessed day.